This is Stena. Thank you for tuning in to the Identity in Me podcast, which features courageous and hopefully accessible conversations with a variety of people processing different aspects of their social and personal identities. I'm joined in this episode by Echo Lewis Saint, who joins me to discuss how she has experienced being a biracial woman growing up and living in central Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. here with a legend, a Worcester legend, a Maynard legend, a Central Mass legend, and I mean that when I say a legend. She's a basketball legend. She got her name on walls and gyms. Um, I just talk about how good I am. She got receipts. She got game. Yeah, she got game. She got game. And so I'm here with Echo July 28. How's it going, Echo July 28? (laughs) <laughs> he's like what echo july 28 your email address your old email address so, so i get so do i get to refer to you as hadley no no oh, i'm stenna you know this i was just checking okay <laughs> do you still go by echo these days yes i still go by echo why would i go by anything else that hey i don't me? know maybe you've decided to go by your middle name <laughs> chanel <laughs> yeah i mean i go by my middle name a lot more now these days you know i appreciate it more there's a story behind it. Someday I'll tell it on the podcast. Actually, I did in one of the episodes. And if you want to hear it, you'll have to go backwards to find it. <laughs> Uh-oh, go back out. Check out the episodes. All right. So how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. Is it because <laughs> you just got your hair did? I did just get my hair did, but there's a funny story behind that. I'll tell you later. But yes, I just got my hair did and I'm feeling fabulous. Yeah, go ahead. Tell me. Why did you get your hair did today? All right, so this is the second time ever in my adult grown life that I've gotten my hair did. And by that, I mean, you know, like extensions, hair, hair yeah. stuff added. And I, I say it like that um, because as, you know, myself growing up, um, I grew up in a white town, right? There was just me and my sister. We always would joke that we we made up the one black person there because we were half and half, right? Yep. Black, half white. Uh, so I've always had this crazy, curly hair that I didn't know how to manage. My dad certainly didn't know how to manage it. I was raised by a single black man, right? Raising two girls with hair that he's never seen, no one's ever seen. So it's not like he could go down to the salon and be like, hey, do my girl's hair, Yeah. right? Um, So I actually got my hair done, got it in braids. It's nice. Um, It was like a rebellion almost against- Against what? What were you rebelling against? Conformity, being um, white, be, I only felt beautiful when I was younger with straight hair oh. and, and I envied everyone around me who had straight hair. And, and I promise you, as weird as this sounds, as a little girl, my greatest wish was to be able to run my fingers through my hair. Mm. And to me, that was the standard of beauty. Um, and I couldn't. 
So, you know, I, I soon as got out of high school, you know, I figured out hair. You know, I went to a salon and someone started straightening my hair. And I was like, oh, now I feel beautiful. Oh, you are getting right into it. You are dovetailing into the essence of our conversation here, which is fine. And so before we proceed with this conversation about your hair, tell me, Echo, how do you identify? Um, I identify myself definitely as a strong Black woman. Mm. Um, I think that's so important because um, this world definitely lacks strong Black women. Um, mm. We don't talk about them. We don't see them. Um, they're pushed, you know, under the cover in work. I think they're not highlighted. Um, they're not seen and visible. And, and it's not something that um, you get to see often. And, and what I mean by that is I grew up in Maynard. And I don't believe, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, if you're from Maynard and you're hearing, no. um, I don't believe I ever encountered a black teacher or oh. a black female teacher. Okay. So you grew up in Maynard. Um, were you born in Maynard too? I was born in Concord, raised in Maynard. Yep. And yeah. Maynard is right outside of Worcester, right? Like 20, 25 minutes? Mm, yeah, yeah. So, so Acton, Hudson, Concord, Marlboro. Yeah. Um, you know, Acton Boxborough, a very um white, you know, white, white, white areas. Okay. Um, and so you said you were raised by a single black father. Um, yeah. can you say a little bit more about um your home dynamic growing up? Um, did you not grow up around the white side of your family? Uh so I, I did grow up around the white side of my family. It's the only side of my family I grew up around. Hmm. Um my dad is from North Carolina. Um, he's he's a black man. Um, my maiden name is Freeman, so that will give you a little insight. Um, as like we are black, right from slave heritage, free man, yeah. Yeah. black yeah. man. So my dad's North Carolina, and my mom is um, a white um, Polish woman with blonde hair, mm -hmm. um, blue eyes. You know, God rest her soul. Mm -hmm. But I grew up in Maynard, and that's where her family was from, and it was a completely white town. So I grew up around my cousins on my mom's side and my aunts and uncles and, you know, grandma on my mom's side, the white side, but I actually rarely ever got to see or interact with um, my black family in North Carolina. Uh, it was phone conversations. So I knew they existed maybe once in a while as children, we popped down there a few days, but yep. there was, no, you know, I didn't grow up around them. Around got it. Okay. Understood. Thank you. I didn't know that actually. Thank you for sharing that. When did race come into your consciousness? Or being um, black, when did that come into your consciousness? I so when you grow up in a town where nobody looks like you, um, it is your consciousness. Mm. You're always wondering um, who you are, where you belong, where you fit in. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, there was there was a few um, black people growing up, and where you know where I was, and I I almost leaned to to one of them as like my mentor and and i say this as um i didn't know what it was to be black and i didn't know how to be black but i knew it was important to me if that makes sense yeah yeah see it around me i didn't see it going on around me we had one we had one um street in maynard where the bipoc people lived right and i say bipoc because i refuse to say minorities or colored or any of those labels that have been strapped to us but it was a community full of people who looked like me and it was considered like oh my gosh don't go through there that's the ghetto like that's legit one street in the whole city 
in a whole town, one street? Yeah, Florida Court. And it was and it, it happened to be um also a low, a low income neighborhood. Hmm. So yeah, they were they were bound to it and not bound to it, but that's where we all lived. Yeah. Um not I didn't live there, but that's where you know most of them lived and we'd all that's where I was always found because I was like, oh my people. Yeah. I feel comfortable here. You know let, what I let mean? me go let me go back to this question. So all right, you're four, five, six, seven years old. Do you like remember the first time you said to yourself, I'm black, or somebody said to you you were black. Do you remember that experience? I remember realizing I was black um, probably when I saw my school pictures mm. as a little girl and nobody looked like me mm. and everybody looked nice and proper. And me and my sister had crazy hair. Mm. So we looked unkept, but yeah. it wasn't that. Um, like I said, my dad didn't know. Um, you know, he was doing the best he could. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Point, I mean, um, not even a ponytail. He didn't even like throw it in a ponytail. No, it was ponytail and it was nice. And, and you know, but it's frizzy. We, yep. Black hair is frizzy. Yep, yep. You know what I mean? So everyone looked really nice. I'm not saying we looked crazy, but we definitely looked different. Got it. Okay. So your racial identity came about or your recognition of who you were came about in comparison to others. And so usually when I ask Black folks this question, um, I have found consistently that they came into their racial identity through some sort of negative experience. Um, and so this is interesting to me, and it's not the first time I've heard it, but um, it adds more to this matter of how people figure out or learn about who they are. Okay, so going back to hair, for a long time, your dad didn't know how to manage your hair. It sounds like you didn't know how to manage your hair. Like, when did you ever have an affirming experience with hair? Like somebody knew how to manage your hair and taught you how to do that? Um, well, so it it was um, a whirlwind. It was a learning experience. Funny story. Um, so I grew up in Maynard, a completely white town. And me and my sister end up going to college for basketball to the city of Worcester, hmm. the city of diversity itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we go in and it's exciting. And all of the sudden... Um, you know, people notice me, yeah. and you know, they um, did. Yeah, <laughs> they, they did because Echo, you were not quiet coming into the community. They <laughs> noticed you because you were out there all the time in a good way. Yeah, but but also for the first time, people noticed me and was was were attracted to me, calling me beautiful. You know, oh my gosh, you're beautiful, and I was like, what? Like really? I was confused because in my town, I was the big black girl. We were athletes who we were you know workhorses we were sports girls but no no one dated me no one liked me no one really? called me beautiful Was yeah it? so i came out to worcester and all of a sudden it's like girl you're beautiful i'm like oh really hold on i gotta jump in here because like literally i remember when you got to clark it, oh i'm gonna keep it above water here but i'm surprised in maynard you were not noticed Interesting. No. Okay. No, not at all. It was we were noticed, but it was like, oh, those those, those big girls. Yeah, and we yeah. were superior athletes. So I'm sure a lot of the boys were more worried about competing with us than looking yeah. at us. Yeah. So <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I so I I, I have this this best friend, Inez. Shout out to Inez. Mm. Um, she becomes my pre-freshman roommate. Yep. She's phenomenal with hair. She's black, she's bold, she's beautiful, she walks. In the essence of a black woman, I was so, you know, just excited to be rooming with her. And she says, girl, I'm going to do your hair. I was like, yes. 
And to me, this is like, this is my first experience with being a black woman. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get my hair done. you at the time? 18? 18. I said, I'm going to get wow. my hair done. And this is what it is to, to be black, to get yeah. hair added to your hair. That's yeah. truly what I felt. So Inez is a dope braider. She gives me the Alicia Keys braids, but puts yeah. blue weave in it. I mm. said, I want this. I want blue. Yeah. And then I've never felt uh, at that point, I promise you in my head, I was like, welcome to the black culture echo. Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. finally been indoctrinated. And I look back at it now and think growing up as a white child, that the images that I saw of black people, that when I finally got to a community where black people existed, the first thing I thought to do to feel like I would belong in my community is put blue weave and braids in my hair. Mm -hmm. And I thought now as an adult, I think what a limited yeah. capacity and view of what my culture is and shame on the community um, itself for not putting people around who looked like, like them in places where I could see them and prosper. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I do what I do now in the city of Worcester, because I never want another girl, black, BIPOC or otherwise to walk into a space where they don't see people like them, where they feel like they don't belong, where they're wondering who they are, you know, and I, and I work with women and I work with girls and, and it's empowerment. You belong here. Right. And yeah. if you want to be here, you know, and, and once we get there, we have to pull other people up to the table so that they see people like us doing things yeah. so yeah. that they, you know, like we're trailblazers and that's how I feel. Cause I'm tired of, was tired of not seeing people who looked like me in successful positions or mentorship positions around me. It, and, and as an adult, that's very sad for me to look back and think of. Word up. And uh, by the way, I don't say this lightly. I don't say this to just anybody. It would not surprise me in the next five to seven years if you were running for mayor of Worcester or some like real senior level role in the city. Like you're just out Everybody there and prominent and people know you and yeah. Um, yeah, no, really. Um, and so let's stay on this matter of hair, though. So you got braided extensions at the time. You have braided extensions now, um, but you have curly hair. That's what I like. We we know Echo has curly hair. When did you learn to manage your curly hair and who taught you? Uh, college. I think it probably would have been Inez again. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, it, it was it was an exploration. But even then, I still wasn't taking as good as care of it, because even though Inez new hair she had black hair and yeah. my hair was still a little different so i was putting too much product in it at one point i was putting i went through this exploration of figuring out my hair and i went through okay let's put gel in it and then it was like crinkly and yeah. weird yeah. and then i switched to mousse i'm like let's let's put mousse in it and then it got like dry flakes yeah. and then i'm like okay what do i do and then finally i went to like leave-in conditioner and just leave-in conditioner but it took like going to several different hairdressers across the city um, I went to an African hairdresser and figured out that definitely wasn't for me. Yeah. They tried to put a hot comb in my hair. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, uh, so wow. So even black folks didn't know how to help you yeah. manage having curly hair. Interesting. Yeah. You know, so so Rose has curly hair. My wife has curly hair. And she had a similar journey with her hair. And actually, she goes all the way to Boston to a place called a curl bar that specializes in managing curly hair. And what she has learned over the course of her life and what I've learned, because I have to bring st um, stylists to campus as contractors for our students, is there are very few stylists who know how to manage curly hair. It's true. I had to find someone and I get a special thing called a curly cut. 
Mm. Um, and it's like a like hundred dollars, but a testament to that back then when I got my hair braided, it was in search of becoming and finding out who I was. Yep. And now, um, and, and it was a sense of conformity, right. Mm. And now yeah. in getting my hair braided, it's a choice, it's liberation, it's, it's freedom. It's knowing who I am and exploring it freely. Um, mm. and prior, you know, everything I did with my hair was a sense of, of conformity. I wouldn't go on job interviews without straightening my hair as an adult. Why not? Why not? Because I didn't want to seem as black as I was. And and, 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 and see, I am a light skinned, I mean, bright white in the winter, blue eyed woman saying, I went to interviews and straightened my hair because I wanted to seem less Mm. black. And that Mm. itself is traumatizing. When in your life did you say to yourself, I have to straighten my hair in order to be acceptable in an interview? Um, Do you remember that moment? Yeah. As soon as I started, as soon as I started interviewing, Mm. I remember being all this con. Remember, I don't know if you remember, but it was big in the news and the controversy about the person losing their job because they're, but they had braids or they had dreads or something. And the topic of hair and professionalism became a topic, you know, and I, and and I was, you know, thinking I was told, oh, my hair is, is crazy. It's unruly. It doesn't, you know, it's unprofessional. You know, I have this big, great, crazy curly hair yeah, um, and, yeah. and and I felt that way and I felt I look more white yeah. with straight hair I look yeah. more professional with straight hair and I will be able to um, represent and identify with more people with straight hair and so did I, you and did they actually treat you differently did you feel like you were treated differently when your hair was straight versus curly uh you know let me tell you something when I had straight hair, sure, I conformed. Sure, I was the great pick. Sure, I was the girl that could fill the quota, right? And and yeah. fly under the radar and do the code switching, right? Because that's what we have to do a lot of the yeah. times as yeah. Black people when we're working in the corporate world. We have to conform. And being ourselves is considered being unprofessional or outside of the lines. Yeah, yeah. So then I felt very inadequate. And now um, I wear my curly hair as a proud, mm. proud example of me, my identity, my uniqueness, my blackness, who I am. And to the point where I have not straightened my hair in two years, right I rebelled against conforming. My black is beautiful. My hair is beautiful. My uniqueness is beautiful. And it is the best part about me and nothing about my looks makes me unprofessional or unqualified. I refuse I, to conform to that. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Now, uh, a question comes to mind for me. I was going to go in one direction based on the questions I sent you coming into the interview, but I get, I, I got to stay with this hair stuff. <laughs> Do you find that men are more drawn to you when your hair is curly or when your hair is in braided extensions or when it's straight? Um, so I would have to say that walking in my true self with my curly hair in confidence, wholly loving me is when I get the most attention. Um, Because mm. when you love yourself, people can love you. But I, I honestly sense my hair journey. And I mean, I cut off all my hair basically and started over. Yeah. Very short to get beautiful, healthy curls. And I'd never put heat in it since and yep. decided I was going to take care of it. I have men who constantly compliment me on my curls and my yep. hair. Yep. Constantly. It's a constant conversation piece. 
Um, I mean, people are always talking to me and, you know, but in my confidence and in my essence, I'd, I'd love who I am. I'm owning who I am. And that's when I'm my best self. Well, I always thought your curly hair was dope, even back in the day in college. Um, and interesting to hear from you that um, you didn't feel confident managing your hair because I remember you as a first year student, second year student, and your hair never looked unkept in any way. Um, so sometimes we're thinking something. Issue. What's that? It was an internal identity. Yeah, issue. yeah, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, internally, we're wrestling with things that people don't realize externally. So a little bit ago, you said, you know, when people see you um, in your blackness, you are lighter skinned, which is true. Um, you're a lot lighter than me. You have blue eyes um, and sometimes even green, right? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, okay. So at the beginning of this conversation, you identified as a strong black woman. Do you ever present yourself or say to folks that you are biracial or do you choose to say black? And on top of that, like, do you ever say to folks, yeah, I'm black and white as opposed to biracial? Absolutely. So let me tell you something. I have always identified as a black woman. Um, and it. I remember my mom um, calling me out on it. She said, you know, you're not just black, you're, you're half white. And my, my response to her shocked her. I said, I've never received white privilege a day in my life. Ooh. So how is it that you can tell me I'm not black, but I've been left out and I've been judged and I've not been given things because I'm black. So no, I don't identify as white until you can tell me I have white privilege or I, or I haven't gone through what I've gone through or I haven't lived what I've lived. And that the in insecurity and the unbiased wasn't already here living inside of me from when I could recognize that everyone around me looked I'm different. No, I identify as black. How old were you at the time? Do you remember when you had that conversation? Maybe in my 20s. Oh, OK. My, All right. I was adult enough to say where then where is my white privilege? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have different views on religion. We have different views on race and and all of that. But yeah, there was no. I don't identify um, as as white. Um, I biracial. I will say biracial. Yeah, absolutely. But when and let me tell you something. I've been told by black people I'm not black. Um, mm -hmm. Please been, talk about that, please. I was talking to someone and I was talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, and I was told that my opinion does not matter because I am not black. Mm. Um, I was talking to someone and we were talking about things we agree with. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, yeah, and that's great. Yeah, and that's great. And yeah, and that's great. And I said, yeah, it's because I'm a black woman. And she said, wait, hold up. She said, girl, you are not a black woman. Mm. Yeah. I, the black person in, in Maynard who was like my mentor, I remember, because it, it was a hurtful day. Um, he asked me why I had blonde hair on my arms. Wow. Like I wasn't black enough. Wow. He's like, you ain't even black like that. But you're, yeah, the, the hair on your arms is blonde. So did you struggle with that at all in college? So you left Maynard, predominantly white. You get to Worcester, very diverse um, city, campus, relatively diverse or more diverse than what you experienced. Did you have an initial shock being around other black people? How did they receive you? Um, 100%. Like I said, um, I felt and I felt like, OK, I found my people. Right. And then I was exploring 
um, black culture, even black music, right? Through you, through Nate, through um, through Mike, right? Like all different types of of music and culture and places and and um, the place downstairs where they did the spoken word. Grind like, Central. Yes, I was learning about black culture and what I liked about it and where I fit in. And, and part of me, and I'm just being as honest as I can. I'm like, okay, I have to love rap to be black. Ooh, you know, and yep. then I, got I remember, really into, I remember us talking about this. Yeah. And then, so I got really into rap because I thought it, it was a part of my identity, yeah. you know, and, and people don't talk about these things, but it's real. Like that's, this literally was my thought process. I was learning how to become black after 18 years of being raised white. And that's what really what it was. Hmm. I don't remember if you were part of any of the clubs at Clark, like Black Student Union yeah. or Soka or any, any of I those clubs. Of were, were you part of um, any of those cultural clubs? And what did those clubs teach you about being Black? I was a part of Alana and I was a part of BSU. Yep. Um, and I learned that Black um, was way more than Black. And when I say that, and I'm just being as honest as I can, I remember as I was learning, because it's just this serious They'd be like, oh, yeah, you're black. What kind of black? I'm like, you know, regular black, like New York black. Whoa. And, and no, I'm serious. Like, you know, I'm like a black person. I'm like from here. Yeah. Right. But then I was learning there was like African and Nigerian and Liberian and all of these things. And they were so proud. Right. And the Puerto Rican and Dominican. And there was there were different sects and areas of it. And they all had their own culture and allegiance. And to me, that was so beautiful. And it. And, you know, I ended up finally doing an ancestry DNA because I wanted to know where my black came from. Mm. You know what and I mean? What did I you learn? I am 35% Nigerian. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And that was so special to me because I want to understand my culture beyond slave history. Yeah. And that's what I meant by, you know, I'm black. I'm from here. Like, you know what I mean? Like slave history, African history from here. But we all came from somewhere. Yeah. And now I know. And I know I sound ignorant, but I'm talking about. You don't sound what, ignorant at all. Don't. No, no, no deficit my, stuff here. Yeah. But I was talking about my frame of mind. Uh, OK. OK. Yeah. And understanding now how limited that was. But I don't blame me because I never grew up in my culture. I never ident. There was no culture around me. No teachers, no people of power, no nothing. I grew up entirely white. Mm. And then in Worcester, then I started learning my black is beautiful and, and the different elements of it and learning who I was and being free to be who I am and not being conformed in this box. I felt really stuck. You know, you've said free a few times in this conversation. You keep hearkening back to that last name, Freeman. I'm free. I am free. I am free. All right. You be free. Um, so I'm going to conclude with this question and I should have asked immediately after you shared, but do you continue to have these experiences with black people where they other you? And if you do, like, how do you respond to that at this point in your life? Do you have uh, a response? Do you challenge people in that moment to reconsider how they view blackness? Um, you know, I think I'm in a lot of rooms where identity, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging is always a conversation. And I think whenever I'm met with that type of um, opportunity to have a conversation, I like to explore it yeah. and, and offer a different side of things. Like when that woman told me um, I wasn't black, you know what I mean? I laughed at her. I said, oh, really? I'm not black? Because again, I always say, well, where's my white privilege? 
Yeah. Right. And I always refer back to that because you cannot tell me what my experience is. I, I, I agree that it is different from yours. Yeah. I agree that my walk is different than your walk, but it is still challenging. There are still obstacles um, and there are still problems and there are still inequities that exist. Boom. Echo, before um, I let you go here, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in Worcester these days? If folks want to learn more about you or what you're doing, they'll be able to research based on what you tell them. So go ahead. Great. Um, I am a community partner. Um, I love working in my community, being a resource um, to those who are um, looking for resources within the community. But first and foremost, I have started my own nonprofit, Woo Cares, W-O-O Cares. Um, and Congratulations. It, thank you. Thank you. And it's based off of everything I love. It is a basketball community service program that focuses on mentorship and leadership on and off the court. And we utilize um, basketball to bring in the BIPOC families. And then when they come in, we, you know, attack them with resources and connections um, and programming, social, emotional intelligence, um, mentorship. We have a huge focus on community service. And what I mean by that is um, I believe that being a community leader is the greatest job. Um, everybody should be doing it and we should be teaching kids how to lead in their community. And it comes with hands-on experience. So our program focuses on community service. And for the families that can't afford um, to pay for the program, it's okay. We allow them to enroll as long as we have capacity. And then the children um, pay it forward in community service. Mm. And they sign up for our community service programs and they become active contributors within their community, learning how to engage, learning how to give back, um, learning the essence of mutual aid and community empowerment. Um, and, and the biggest thing I tell these kids is um, corporations, um, organizations and titles don't change the world. People change the world, you know, and you're a people, you know, so. <laughs> right on. And how can people find out about Wool Cares? Are you on Instagram? Do you have a website, Facebook? Um, um, you can definitely find us on Facebook, um, Woo Cares or Woo Cares 508. You'll see our really cool logo. Um, it's Woo Cares, creating kids who care. And, um, you know, reach out to us. We have after school programming. We're starting some girls programming. We're starting um, some boys programming and there's a lot going on. So um, definitely reach out. And we're looking to, like I said, create kids who care, utilizing basketball as the means to get them in. Cool. And um, when you have that fundraising dinner, make sure I get an invitation, please, so that I can support this new organization. And lastly, um, this never happened back in the day. Um, I don't know why it didn't, but I'm putting it out there now so that you hear it and everybody else does. Are you about when to challenge me to one on one? When you're ready for the one on one, when you're ready for the smoke, when you are ready for the step back. I'm ready for the smoke. You can't get me under the hoop, okay? These these knees still got cartilage in them, all right? Oh, God. Hey, all right. Listen, I have arthritis in my left knee. I should not be putting out challenges to anybody. Wait, so, we heard it and I accept it. All right. <laughs> Listen, I get ball first. You ain't getting it back. Regardless of how many times I have conversations of the like, I'm always struck by the experiences of my guests. Right now, I'm thinking about children who are grappling with their racial identity and everything that comes with that while they're trying to learn and simply be children. 
I'm thinking about the people who are devoutly committed to the idea of sameness instead of embracing difference. Sameness suggests we all experience life similarly and that we don't need to account for variety. Stories like Echoes, and there are many of them, make it abundantly clear that it is harmful to overlook difference as a matter of personal convenience. I'm also thinking about the friendly fire that we experience within communities that we deem to be, and frankly need to be, safe. What are your takeaways, and how will you apply those to your daily interactions? Shout out to Echo for laying bare her truth, and special thanks to ERI Design, a boutique marketing agency with offices in Worcester, Mass. and Portland, Maine, for sponsoring the podcast and bringing these conversations to you. If you're feeling the podcast, please follow it on Instagram at identity underscore n underscore me and do the same on Spotify. Leave a ranking while you're at it too. Until the next episode of Identity and Me, keep reflecting. Identity and me.